This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to episode 33 of the Before the Millions podcast. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye hey what's up what's going on btm community welcome to another episode welcome to another installment of the before the millions podcast it feels so good to be back what doesn't feel good is this cold weather in dallas Yes, it is freezing. Take me back to Houston. Take me back to Nigeria. Take me back to Qatar. Take me back to Kentucky. Kentucky wasn't even this bad. These are all places that I've been in the past 30 days. I told myself this month I'm going to settle down and I'm going to stay put for at least a month. Next month is another busy travel month. So... I'm trying to stay in Dallas for the rest of the month, but it's pretty hard with this weather. But anyways, on today's episode, we are speaking with brothers. This is the first time we've ever had two people on one one show, so this is going to be fun. We're speaking with Tim Black, who spent his time as a 30-year career man for Six Flags theme park and Great Wolf Resort. If you don't know Great Wolf, uh, they own 14 resort properties in North America. But Tim's expertise is really operations, strategic planning, marketing, sales, revenue management, and uh, real estate development. Secondly, we are speaking with Mr. Thomas Black. So Tim Black and Thomas Black. Thomas is actually a medical doctor, a certified physician to be exact, and practices to this day. So we get to talk about the intricacies of being a real estate investor and being a physician and why he kind of turned his ear to real estate, what was going on in his life that he figured he needed to start investing. We have a really, really good time on the episode, guys. Really, really good time. More importantly, we talk about the outlook of real estate in 2018 and what markets you should be investing in. One thing I like about Thomas's story is that he knows that a good amount of his passion lies in the medical field. And it's good to take note that Even your passions can burn you out. And I think that Tom was coming close to a critical point in his life where he realized not only was he working so hard for his passion, but he also had a a wife and family at home that he wanted to spend time with and look after. And the path that we often discuss on this show is finding a way through real estate to maybe earn enough passive income to one day leave your nine to five job 
but there's often a second and a lot of the time more beneficial path in where your nine to five job is actually where your passion lies and keeping your nine to five job is one of the best things that you could do. But also realizing that being an investor, more specifically a real estate investor, is the best way to hedge your bets. And that's what Thomas is doing. And now Thomas and the whole Nepali Capital Group, he's gotten to a point to where the other unfulfilled physicians in his practice who are feeling a lot of the feelings that he used to feel when he first found his path to real estate are coming to him for a real estate device or coming to him and giving him investment dollars to help them find vehicles so that they can invest their harder on capital and not lose so much to the government. So not only is he able to expand and grow his company, he's also able to help people who are in the same position he's all too familiar with. They get to circumvent all his mistakes. I love the model. In fact, I like to think that I do the same thing for financial professionals, accounting professionals, accountants, auditors, tax preparers, CPAs, CFAs, the people listening to this podcast in the finance space and the accounting space who are working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and are looking to subsidize their income through another cash flowing stream. Because I mean, who's to say that as much security as you think you have in your job, who's to say that that's always going to be there? On this episode, we talk about how a lot of investors in this day and age all think that they're geniuses, all think that they're brilliant because it's a bull market right now. Everything's going up. But that we also shouldn't forget about the 07, 08, 09 times. And it would behoove of us to not worry or be concerned, but be ready for those times or be ready for that time when it happens. You know, you got to get some fail safes in place so you know that you're secure. And when it does happen, there are going to be a lot of layoffs. And it's always the people who are like, it can never be me. Those are mainly the first people to go. But not only are there going to be a lot of layoffs, but all the people who are investing in in assets that are not producing any cash flow, how are they going to weather the storm? So, yeah, I do want to shed light on a lot of things that are going on. I do want to help the people who are who I know that I can help through my experiences. That's why we produce this content every single week. I know that if we can get enough ears behind this, that we can change the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. And I'm not talking financially. We're working to get paid with fulfillment. Fulfillment to do what you want, when you want, on your own terms. To be your own boss. To call your own shots. To some of you, it may sound impossible. It may sound like, Dorette, this is not, it's just that life just wasn't for me. I was made to be a high income wage earner. I was hate. I was made to be a high functioning employee. No, you were not. The life that's made for you is the life that you want. So I'm not at odds with you if that is the life that you want. But if you know that's not the life you want, do not tell yourself that that's what you were made for, because that's not the truth. I could go on, guys, for a really, really long time. But for those of you who are serious here in 2018, who who believe that this is your year to get into your first investment property. This is your dream is to start investing in cash flow in real estate. If you're wondering, man, what would life be like if I didn't have to be told where to be every day? What would life be like if I didn't have to imagine a life outside of my office? What would life be like if I had more than the weekend to do the million and one things that I've always wanted to do? What would life be like if I didn't have a corporate giant telling me I only had 21 days of vacation 
in the 365-day year. Hmm. What would life be like if I could make cash-flowing dollars today off of idle money sitting in my 401k that I can't touch until I'm well into my 50s and 60s that I have no control over? If you've ever asked yourself a series of these questions and you believe that real estate is the answer, we're still in the month of January. This needs to be at the top of your priority list. You know why? For every working dollar, you have two options. You can either spend it, whether that's on expenses or that's on vacations or that's on necessities, or you can invest it. I guess you have three options. You can also save it. But for this scenario, you have two options because savers are losers. If you spend that dollar, let's say on your car note or your mortgage, on your kids, on your parents, if you spend that dollar, that dollar is gone forever. The value of that dollar is in what you spent it on. Whether that lasts or doesn't last depends on the actual thing. So if it's something that, like candy, that doesn't last, that you know, that goes away forever. If it's like a bracelet, and maybe that has some intrinsic value, but that dollar in itself is gone forever. There's no way to have the dollar and the bracelet. You have to give up that dollar to get the bracelet. But what if you put that dollar into the investment bucket? And for every dollar you put into the investment bucket, $2 comes out. So now you've solved your problem of having your dollar or having your cake and eating it too. So now you have your dollar and you have your bracelet because $2 came out when you put that dollar in. You reinvest that dollar and you have $2 again and you still have your bracelet. You can even get a second bracelet or you can reinvest both dollars and now you have $4. Then the next time you have eight, then 16, then 32, then 64, then 128. And it just exponentially grows. So when is the best time to start investing? The best time was yesterday. Because the longer you wait, the less time you have each individual dollar working for you. The more severe the cost. You cannot afford to wait. I'm not trying to get all deep with y'all today, but it's that serious. So anyways, if you're interested in a one-on-one call with me. So this is most likely the last week that my January special will be going on. So if you visit the site, if you visit beforethemillions.com slash work with me next week, then you will see a page that is a waiting list. And you should just sign up for the waiting list if you're listening to this recording after the time that I'm discussing. But honestly, no matter what point you're listening to this episode at, if you're listening to this episode in 2019, if you're listening to this episode in September of 2018, whenever you're listening to this episode, if I'm still offering one-on-one coaching, always visit beforethemillions.com slash work with me and just see what's currently going on. But if you're still listening to this in the third week of January 2018, then you have time to sign up for a one-on-one coaching call with me. And again, because this is the last week that this is going to be open, you should probably book now. And even though you're booking now, it doesn't mean we have to get on the phone now, but you book now and you'll still have up until February 15th to actually have the call. So if you get on my calendar and you look at, you know, if you go to my calendar link and you look at my availability, you'll see that you can book a call all the way out until February 15th. So I just want you guys to know that what I'm most interested in is your investment strategy. How do you plan on getting started and how are you going to keep going when the times get tough? 
based off of your future goals, based off of your five-year goal, which we've discussed on episode 31. So before the millions.com slash episode 31, based on your five-year goals, you should start trying to figure out what your investment strategy is. It's based on your goals. You got to go back to your goals. So what I want to help you with is your investment, your overall investment strategy. I really want to help you with the fundamentals. I really want to help you with your timeline. I want to help you believe that your dreams and goals are possible and not just in an imaginary way, but like pen to paper, like financial, this is how you get there way. I guess some of you guys are still waiting for the link. So if you want to book a one-on-one coaching call with me, a one-hour coaching call to discuss how to get into your first investment property, to discuss any and everything pertaining to your next purchase, visit beforethemillions.com slash January. That's beforethemillions.com slash January, J-A-N-U-A-R-Y, I think. DeRay's Tip of the Week. Okay, guys. So the tip of the week this week derives from an actual listener question. And I'm paraphrasing the question, but the question was, DeRay, when do I know the right time to get into the real estate market? When do I know the right time to put my money to work? And boy, do I have an answer for you. I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, but it's not about timing the market, which is what this question is actually alluding to. It's not about how to time the market, how to know when to get in when things are really, really cheap, like in 09, or how to know when to kind of play it safe and you know feel like it's a bubble, like in 2018. I don't know. Maybe we should just kind of sit on the sidelines and wait it out and see if real estate prices drop down. That's when we'll buy. Well, that's not the best way to play the game. The best way to play the game is not timing the market. It's time in the market. Again, as long-term buy and hold cash flow investors, we are not as concerned with market fluctuations. If we buy right, meaning that we properly analyze our property, tongue twister there, property analyze your property. But if we're able to do that, if we're able to buy a distressed property and fix it up, or if we're able to buy from a distressed owner that's looking to sell quickly and maybe, you know, pay bottom dollar for it. If we're able to add value, you know, these are different things that we're able to do so that we're not over leveraged, we're not buying at market. So we have some cushion there, you know, things like that. If you're so if you're buying right in any market, it's all about time in the market. Because as I've said before, especially on episode 31, if you Go back and listen to beforethemillions.com slash episode 31. As I've said before, as much as real estate does fluctuate up, it has its ebbs and flows, it has its ups and downs. Over the long term, real estate trends up. So you could experience a bunch of ups and downs in the next 30 years. And if you're cash flowing from that property because you bought it right, you financed right, then all of that doesn't really matter to you because you know that from year one to year 30, through all the ups and downs, the property value of your property is is climbing up. Again, this is why there are long-term buy and hold investors because they just play the waiting game, but they play the waiting game in the market, not out of the market. So they're not timing the market. They're just like, hey, I'm just going to buy, hold and sit because it's about time in the market. And all the while, while I'm sitting, I'm cash flowing. So I'm minding my business. For real, guys. The whole time you're sitting, you're cash flowing. 
So I could sit when times are bad and I could sell when times are good. If I want to, I have the option. Okay, let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Thomas Black and Tim Black to the show today. Hey guys, how's it going? Great, how you doing? Good to be with you. Good to be with both of you as well. Just really, really quick before we get into you guys' story and your background and what you guys do, where are you guys speaking to us from today? So I am right outside Fort Worth in Dallas area. And I'm uh, about 950 miles north, I think, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, where the sun is out and all the snow is almost melted. And yeah, this is tolerable, but that Madison crap is not anybody. Nobody needs to live up there. It's ridiculous. Hey, 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 fellas, it's going to be a balmy 41 today. So we put our shorts on with 41. Come on. <laughs> Tim, I can definitely understand that. Well, well, Tim, why don't, you, why don't you kick it off and tell us exactly maybe what you do present day and what your uh, general area focus is right now? Sure. Well, I'll take that one real quick. This is the younger, better looking brother, Tom. (laughs) I'm a board certified residency trained emergency physician. I practice clinically, I would say three to four days a month, somewhere around there, but I run a group of about 70 physicians. And what I mean by run that group, we have a contract to staff about eight hospitals. So I manage that contract, you know, doing all the administrative responsibilities, which is absolutely one of my passions, Mm -hmm. but the vast majority of my time is spent in the real estate space and investing. That's my current position. I'll let Tim kind of go into current real quick too. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's really good to be here today with you. So my background up until about a year and a half ago was 32 years in entertainment hospitality. About a year and a half ago, I retired from my real job um, as a chief operating officer for a large hospitality company in North America. Took about six months off. Tom has been banging on me to spend some time to in the real estate space more than I did, you know, developing large scale resorts, really multifamily, single family, and try to learn it more than certainly what I have over the past thirty years. And uh, took some time off to think about my future a little bit, and we decided to start the business, Nepali Capital, in twenty sixteen. And I really spend most of my time with the business, kind of building blocks, growing the business, putting procedures, standards in place, and very much the operations role, which is where I'm comfortable. That's fascinating stuff. And I, I'm super excited to kind of get into the, the background of all of this and how you both stumbled upon, you know, multifamily investing. Let's take it back. Let's go in the time machine. Let's learn who Tim and Tom were, uh, maybe uh, prior to college days, and, and we'll work our way up from there. So, you know, what were you guys doing, you know, in your younger years and kind of talk about maybe your career and your career focus and your passion and you know how it progressed from there. Gotcha. Well, I would say at heart, both of us were very similar in, in nature and how we were, I wouldn't say raised, obviously that makes sense, but uh, <laughs> our, our prowess for academics were definitely not helpful to our future careers. So I was uh, very into sports in high school. I was kind of an idiot. So I didn't pay attention, barely graduated high school, took an SAT, I think that's at that time. You know, I think you get 400 points just for writing your name. And I got just above that. You know, I had friends that were, uh, you know, I'd say, well, what did you get on your SAT? And, and they would ask me and I'd say, well, I got a, you know, 700. And they would say, oh, yeah, I got that on the math portion. So I wasn't on a career distant to, you know, go to any college whatsoever at the time. So having not even been able to get into junior college or a Lincoln Technical Institute working on motorcycles, I joined the military. So I was in the military from uh, right out of high school, basically one month past high school. I was enlisted in the Navy for five years, did three deployments overseas, 
kind of understood and learned a little bit about life, sowed my oats and realized what I should and shouldn't be doing. And one day had a, uh, had an episode where we were in the Persian Gulf and some things transpired and I just decided, hey, why not be a doctor? Doesn't that seem like the, the most rational thing to do for somebody that, that barely graduated high school is, you know, I'm going to be a physician. So set my sights on it. Um, a little bit before that time, I had gotten the, the crazy idea that I was going to be a fighter pilot. I actually got uh, accepted the Naval Academy, got removed from the Naval Academy shortly thereafter, after making uh, some really poor life decisions based on fake IDs and things. So transition there into, uh, I don't, I don't want to go, <laughs> I don't want to belabor that, but we'll blow past that. So got out of the military, went to uh, undergrad, did very well, got accepted in medical school and did very, very well in med school. Then to go on to post training and uh, emergency medicine, got into a really busy, heavy trauma clinical practice in East Texas, actually. And then life hit me like a ton of bricks. I was, you know, staring on the barrel of having four kids. I was working constantly. I was making a very good living, but I was, uh, you know, I wasn't truly happy at heart. I was still working for somebody else and I was spending way too many hours doing that. And it started to take a toll, not mentally, but physically on me. And that was when I decided, hey, I got to make a change. And, and that's where I started to go down the real estate path with, you know, single family homes and then eventually uh, just buying some land in Longview, Texas. So Houston, you know, about three and a half hours northeast little small town in the middle of nowhere to buy three acres of land and start building a multifamily uh, apartment. That was really a big tuition bill for me. Uh, you know, I was fortunate, did well, did great, and uh, loved every single second of it. But that was really the roots on where I started. Love it, love it, love it. And I have a couple follow-up questions, but first, Tim, let's hear your, your upbringing and, and see if we can dive into that a little bit further as well. Sure. Yeah, you bet. So I think that, you know, what you'll hear, uh, hopefully through this 45 minutes is that, you know, Tom and I grew up with parents that instilled upon us hard work. I think that, you know, our father was a very hardworking man. And albeit he wasn't at home much, he was constantly at work. And that's one of the things that he ingrained upon us is if you get a job, work hard, be loyal, be committed, and take it seriously. So where I wasn't into sports, and you can probably tell by looking at me like Tom was, but uh, I worked hard. And I started uh, mowing grass at a very young age, because I realized that I could make five bucks back in the 70s. Today, it's more like 45 bucks mowing a yard, and started mowing yards and bought my own lawnmowers and, and realized that, you know, I could make $1,000 in the summer when I was age 10, 11. And that really instilled something upon me. And I think my parents supported me through that or our parents supported me through that. And ultimately, that led me to working in high school. I definitely focused more on work than I did on high school. I definitely was in probably the bottom 25% of my class of 700. My ACT scores the first time I took it was a 16, which isn't even half of the index of 36 is a perfect score. So I'm not really even sure. Like I thought I worked really hard to get a 16. Ultimately, I ended up taking it a few more times and ended up at a 21, which you know isn't, isn't particularly good. But ultimately, uh, that's where I ended up. I went to paramedicine school. I didn't want to go to a four-year college at the time because I was pretty confused as a high school kid. So I was a paramedic and worked at a very busy uh, EMS in Oklahoma City for a bunch of years and then ultimately figured out that making $10 an hour back in the 80s and 90s wasn't going to get me very far in life. So ultimately, I went to the University of Oklahoma, a little shout out there to Boomer Sooners, 
where I wish I would have graduated from OU, I didn't because, again, I wasn't academically focused even in my early 20s. Ultimately, I, I transitioned over and, and worked in the theme park business as a paramedic, and that's really how it got in my blood where, you know, people that might get banged up on roller coasters would come and see me, and I'm like, why am I doing this versus being on the fun side of it? So ultimately, that led me to uh, my job with Six Flags Theme Parks. I was park president for several of their parks on the East Coast. When I was on the East Coast uh, running the largest park that the company had in New Jersey, I ultimately finished my college education through correspondence at LaSalle University uh, while I had two young, small kids. And ultimately, after 18 years with Six Flags, I decided uh, to move on and went to work for a company called Great Wolf Resorts that owns uh, 18 water park, indoor water park resorts throughout North America as a chief operating officer. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, the most important fundamental that Tom and I would both tell you is hard work. It's really important. Roll up your sleeves. If you're going to ask somebody else to do it, you better be able to do it yourself and ultimately value people and be humble. So those are kind of a few key messages I think that we would want to have your listeners take away. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I think one of the questions that are uh, atop of all of our minds is that, Tim, how did, how did you go from being a paramedic to running a theme park? I didn't quite catch that transition. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure I ever did either, other than um, seeing the worst of life in many situations with, you know, death and fatalities and, you know, some of the worst things imaginable. And of course, Tom deals with that every day. And, you know, taking a part-time job in a, in a small theme park at the time that was uh, in Oklahoma City owned by Six Flags to help pay for school. And, you know, as I was working in kind of the uh, first aid department, I was looking around and I had innate uh, leadership skills that, I, that are part of my DNA because that's what our father did his entire life. And uh, ultimately, I really liked focusing on fun versus tragedy and uh, got to become really very good friends with some of the executives at Six Flags. And I worked my butt off many long nights, days, and just to prove myself. And ultimately, I transitioned over from putting Band-Aids on people's foreheads to putting smiles on their faces when they uh, came off of roller coasters. So uh, that was the transition, but it was hard work. Um, I didn't have a college degree at the time, but I had leadership skills, and I understand people. And I think that's probably, if there's anything I tell my kids, is if you have people skills, you'll do well in life. I love it. I love it. So whose bright idea was it to get into real estate? <laughs> I had a feeling you touched on being uh, maybe a little overwhelmed and, uh, and unfulfilled or I think more so overwhelmed with four kids. And and I don't know if you had a practice at that time, but just kind of be, being on the job and, and also having to deal with uh, the day to days at home. And you realized that there was a different way to do things. How did that realization come about? And was real estate originally the first thing that you turned to? Right. You know, I think it was kind of more of a progression. I think originally when I started thinking about it, I was still in, in residency. So, you know, I'm working 110 hours a week, making $32,000 a year. You know, I didn't see my family. You know, by that time I had two kids that were very, very young. And I started looking at real estate and studying it while I was still in training, really as a, uh, as a motivation to keep more of my money, knowing that at some point, I was going to be making, you know, a six-figure salary, and then I was going to need to keep more of it. So it was really birthed out of taxes, to be honest with you, from the very beginning. When I left residency in uh, 2009, of course, the economy wasn't doing too great, and I had purchased my home right at 2006 because I had a three-year residency in emergency medicine. 
and when I left, I just found this opportunity. I said, why the heck would I sell my house at a discount or a, or a loss when I could put another resident in that's going to be coming right behind me and stay there for another three years? So that's what I did. And uh, from that initial rent house, there was our first house that we'd ever purchased. Really, that's where everything blossomed. And then when I went to uh, private practice, you know, I was in a group of about 20 guys. We're working our tails off for a contract, this, these two hospitals. And that's when I started buying just bargain basement, actually down in Houston in the uh, Sugarland or not Sugarland, but the spring area and Tomba. We were buying houses, you know, for 40 cents on the dollar. I didn't even look at them. I was just, I was just buying them, I get, you know, 90% leverage. And I was, you know, everybody was saying, well, you know, I was into this flipping mode. I said, well, I don't want to flip it. I want the depreciation and the cash flow. This is crazy just to take capital gains on something when I'm doing, I'm doing well enough. It's not about that. So started buying houses. And then I soon realized that single family houses and, and owning a lot of them is an absolute bear. If you're managing, that's one thing. But if you're going to have a, you know, a third party management company, it kills your cash flow, number one. And it's, it's competitive. You know, you can spend just as much time looking for one single family home and arguably, that's harder than finding a 300, you know, 300 unit multifamily complex. And it's just not as, uh, it's not a, you know, the time value of your, your time. Eventually, you figure that out. So that's what really had motivated me. And by the time I was in practice, I, uh, I soon realized, even though I was still working insane hours and I, was, I had a very nice income, it just didn't translate. It didn't translate at all. I was tired. I worked holidays, weekends, nights. And I'm seeing everybody else that, you know, our gas station owners, and I had several friends that, you know, own dry cleaning business, and they were in business for themselves. And they were happy, they were doing very well for themselves. And it just, I could not make it translate. And the one thing that finally hit me was that if I was going to make a change in my life, I had number one, I had to do it for myself. And I had to do it because nobody was going to do it for me. I love that. I love that so much. Really quick time. So as far as what brings you the most fulfillment, what brings you the most, most joy in that moment, would you say that stepping into an OR room, which I know is exhilarating. <laughs> you already uh, know the answer bring, to this. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and ask the question. Or, or, or closing on a 300-unit multifamily apartment. So uh, I'll tell you a little story. So I, we closed. So a year after I left my practice, I just resigned the practice. We moved my family to Dallas. So about... Nine months after that, I'm sitting at a dinner with the, uh, with the folks that underwrote the note for us at Wells Fargo. And we're on dinner in Dallas. It's a 305-unit apartment complex. And it was the most clarity I had. I said, guys, and they were all astonished by this, my partners. I said, that was more exhilarating completely and more fun than anything I've ever done in medicine. You could come in in full traumatic arrest, and I'm doing things that's normal and rote for me. Uh, it's not fun. It is just not fun to me. Finance, oddly enough, and the art of the deal and getting everybody in and making everybody happy really is where my passion is. I still struggle, and Tim knows this, you know, 24 hours before I go to the hospital, I start getting a little irritable, you know, the clouds come out, and it's just, you know, it starts, starts raining in my head, and I, there's nothing that I enjoy more than the nine or ten calls a week that I get from doctors or other people looking to invest or learn how to invest differently because that's what saves at the end of the day. It's not investing in the stock market. It's not investing in mutual funds. It's taking the responsibility on yourselves to learn something and to leverage other people's experience and to leverage other people's money. So without a doubt, heck no, I don't, I don't those days are over for me completely. I love it. Well, I thought I knew the answer. I was 100% <laughs> sure you were going to say, man, when I step into the OR room, 
everything just shuts off. That's, that's no, no. Huh? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like anything else, right? It's like, it's like any other job that you can. After you've seen something a thousand times, it becomes very uh, algorithmic. Yeah. It's just a pathway. Yes, every once in a while they have a saying in medicine, you know, you, whenever you hear hoof beats, you don't think of zebras, you think of horses, right? But you've always got to be looking for the zebras. So you're always looking for that one needle in a haystack, which is, is difficult and it's not really as wonderfully thrilling as TV and media portray it to be. Definitely, definitely. So Thomas, take me out of the equation. Let's just pretend it's you and your brother talking and yes. you have just turned your sights on real estate. Now, Tim being a 30-year career man in, at Six Flags and, and Great Wolf Resorts. He has a great career. He has a great life. He has everything going for him. You pick up the phone and you call your brother and you're like, hey, I want to start investing in real estate. How does this first conversation go? Matt, well, I can tell you exactly because we had that conversation. What, about a dozen times, Tim? At least. <laughs> I started at a Chevy Silverado pickup truck that was jacked up so high in East Texas to look at some land that I had to have a stepladder to get in. But maybe yeah he can probably tell you that a little bit better than i can because you know i I was hitting him from 2010 to 2015 you know i finally gave up to be honest with you i'm pretty sure it wasn't until you saw my financial statement they said wait a minute something's to this i think there might be something to this whole yeah so yeah let me try to answer that and tom's probably right i can probably because i had been thinking about it and you know listen when i was uh, the COO of Great Wolf, I didn't have a lot of time outside of, you know, working and really that business, because when you think of resorts, what the day they open, they never close, barring a natural disaster. I mean, it's 24-7, 365, much like hospitals. So, you know, we were uh, the last ownership group that owned Great Wolf was private equity and out of New York. And private equity is very, very, very demanding. So my 60-hour work week was, was much, much, much heavier than that. I was really struggling with my own career and you know, didn't want to do it much longer. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. You know, I've got two young daughters and trying to get daughters successfully through high school and into college is always a challenge. I didn't think a lot about it until the day I pushed the down arrow at our corporate offices at Great Wolf. And I went down for the last time on March 11th, 2016. And when I hit the bottom, it dawned on me that number one, I would never go back up to that sixth floor. But number two, I felt an enormous amount of freedom that day that I didn't have to go back to the office or report to anybody. I only had to report to myself, my wife, my children, and my family. So that gave me some pause. And, uh, you know, I took about two months thinking about what I wanted to do. And after a while, my wife was looking at me saying, you got to do something, dude. You are in my way. At the time, I was 51 years old, much too young to do nothing. I felt like I had more to contribute. So I called Tom up and I said, all right, I think I want to learn. And ultimately went to to Dallas to some real estate investing seminars and courses. And I think that what's interesting about our our story is that we come from two very, very different backgrounds, but they're so incredibly complementary when you think about what we're doing. So that's really what excites me. And quite frankly, you know, Tom makes fun of me because I am geeky when it comes to operations and building a foundation and making sure the forms of the foundation are set before you pour the concrete. And that stuff's super fun for me. So it's been very, very complimentary and very, very natural. And, and quite candidly, 
This is the most fun I've had at any job I've ever done, whether it's cutting a yard for $5 or, or shoveling snow or running roller coasters or bandaging people up. This is the most fun I've had. And at the end of the day, that, that is very, very rewarding. Let's transition over into, into some content, guys. Let's talk about some, some things that the listeners can go and implement in their investing in their business. And for you, Tim, I want to touch on, and it sounds like you're the right person to ask when it comes to figuring out what markets to invest in. I get this question often. You know, we're in 2018. Everything is, is doing great. Stocks are doing good. Bitcoin is doing good. AI. I mean, you name it, real estate. I mean, everybody, any and everybody under the sun feels like they're the best investor in town right now. As a real estate investor, what's on the horizon in 2018? What markets, you know, if somebody were, were to ask you, what market should I invest in? I know that you would have a follow-up of a series of questions depending on their criteria and what they need. But just as, as in a general broad sense, what markets are you looking at? What markets do you suggest that a newbie investor start looking into? Yeah, sure. Great, great question. You're right. Anybody who's investing a dollar right now, whether it's in a bank or a CD or the stock market, is, is feels pretty good about where we're at. But you have to remember the, the downside too. And I very, very, very much remember 2008. And you never want to let that too far out of your rearview mirror because it will happen again. And there's no doubt. So prepare for those type of downturns. But you know, when you think about uh, markets, we're heavily invested in Dallas, arguably, probably, if not the most electric economy in the U.S. We are heavily invested in Atlanta, Georgia. We love Atlanta, what's happening. Feels much like Dallas-Fort Worth did a few years ago. Hartsfield-Jackson is obviously the largest airport in the world. They're building a sixth runway that's 100% focused to logistics. So there will be no commercial passenger flights on that runway. It's all logistics uh, for transportation. And so they're focusing a lot of energy, uh, the city of Atlanta, in logistics and transportation. And between you and us and the listeners, we, we are really, really hoping that Amazon ends up for their HQ2 in Atlanta. We feel very good about that. But, you know, we like Atlanta. We are exploring a couple of new markets this year. Charlotte, North Carolina, we like as a significant financial hub to the U.S., certainly second to New York. And we like Orlando, Florida. When you think about uh, destination tourism, the number of middle-income class jobs and how it's growing significantly. So we're going to cultivate those two markets significantly in 2018. Some of your KPIs, indicators that you're looking at, you're looking at jobs, where jobs are, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at things like the airports, and it sounds like you're also looking at where vacationers are. But maybe let's touch on something that, that you guys look at that maybe is not so in the forefront, is not so normal, something that, you know, you guys, a statistic that you guys look at to kind of pick your, your maybe your submarket. Well, sure. I would say, yeah, I would say on that, I mean, we, we typically don't go into a market that doesn't have an MSA or DMA of less than a million people. That's number one. Not, you know, having lived in a tertiary market, having not only purchased, but developed in tertiary markets, unless you live on site, I think there's just, there's a lot more sway because those tertiary markets are tertiary markets for a reason, right? They're separated from a, an area based on oil, based on the economy. And so I think for me personally, I get, uh, I get a little bit anxious because I know that you can have rapid swings and those are going to be the first places to feel it. I mean, Longview, Texas, you know, four years ago took a big hit. I mean, a big hit because of oil. Rest of the country in Dallas and Fort Worth are 
you're doing great. But having looked at that and not having been right there and being able to make some snap decisions, I would have been really uncomfortable. And so that's one of our things. I don't really tend to look at uh, at tertiary markets at all. Um, One of the other things is we we tend not to, and I, I know where you're getting at with you know, if we can look at one statistics, where are we where are we at? You know, we've looked at heat maps before of where is where is the money going? With us, in the way we look at things, jobs and money and the transfer of wealth is moving southeast. As far as you look at how things are trending, and that's not only movement of people for jobs, but that's also California 1031 money, right? It's foreign money. Where is the foreign money coming in? And and we're not going to reinvent the wheel and and create a, a special statistics that's that's ours. We just it's more of a I would say a gestalt. I think one of our biggest parameters that we look at, not only in submarket, would be effective rent, things like that, to where we look at minimal, minimal rent growth. I mean, even if, if Dallas is cooking at a five or a six growth per year, we're still going to underwrite for two or three. I mean, we, would, we tend not to underwrite for over three unless there's just something absolutely phenomenal about the property. I don't see a time, and I think that's where you get caught when we were talking about what's the downside, I think you can get caught very easy in the markets and saying, hey, we can make this deal work if we just uh, you know, go with the rest of the country. We've known the Dallas has hit 6% the last couple of years and average rent increases. I just don't think that's responsible. So I think we look at more average rent across the board and then look from a management standpoint. And that's where Tim is so valuable because everything we do, sure, there's a value add component. Everybody's looking for value add. For us, it's more of a management play and the specifics, idiosyncrasies that come in with his management expertise. How do we financially optimize that property and, you know, do a revenue kind of a, you know, him handling the rev cycle and being able to really tweak to say, okay, how do we, how do we maximize what that property is? So, you know, there's not any one key indicator we look at. I would be honest, you know, we only choose one market a year roughly to even dive into though. Tim, rounding out this segment on on markets in 2018, what final advice can you give our listeners who are looking to get into real estate and, and are looking to kind of decide what market to get in? Don't go to Atlanta because we're there. Definitely. We have an abundance mindset. <laughs> you know, I think to dovetail on what Tom said, you know, looking where the money is flowing and we do spend time looking at heat maps. And, and I think that, listen, we roll out a map of the U.S. and we look at it and try to follow where the money's going and what those demand generators are, overall economic growth in a particular market, you know, obviously real estate, commercial growth. I think Tom's right. I mean, Southeast, South, we definitely want to get back into your market or we want to get into Houston. You know, we've tickled around with Houston. We, we go down there, we spent some time and then hurricane came and so we pulled back. But, you know, one of these days we're going to tiptoe down there to to see your market and uh, maybe we can go out for a cup of coffee with you, but I digress there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, that's great advice on, on market outlook in 2018. So I hope the listeners have been able to take away a lot of great and valuable information from that. So Tom, let's talk about lifestyle design because your lifestyle is kind of designed, I guess, uniquely from a lot of other people. So let's maybe talk about your mindset when it comes to lifestyle design and maybe how your day is structured, how your life is structured. I mean, not, you know, you're, you're a physician and you're a real estate investor. How does that work out? It works out awesome now. It took me years to get there, but uh, I, I will say it is, it is a design. It's not just going to end up on your lap. And I think that's the first thing to understand. You got to jump in and you got to make a decision. You've got to change and why you're changing. You know, I think for me and the most, the biggest thing I tell specifically physicians is we tend to be very education focused. And the one thing that always makes me kind of chuckle is 
any physician, when they get into a career choice or they're not satisfied with their career, they tend to want more education. And more education is great, but I always hear, okay, well, I'm going to go get my MBA. Well, why, why are you getting an MBA? Because I think it's the, the question is, are you running away from something or are you running towards something? And that's a very big distinction to make, and especially with higher education, because just going to get an MBA or going to get an advanced degree isn't going to guarantee you any more money. What is it going to guarantee you? You're still going to have to work clinically. Do you really love administration? Do you love what that's going to do? Sometimes I think people just do it because they don't know what else to do. There's just no track set for them, and it seems like the easy kind of a path of least resistance. So my life by design, I've had more fun this year. 2017, 2016, 2017 were just a hell of a lot of fun. I, uh, this is the first year I took Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving off in a decade. I, my days are I get up, I take my kids to school. You know, I've got usually a lot of investor relation type things with the company going on, underwriting deals. I love my day because I'm not beholden to anybody. I mean, that's the key to me is I've worked it so that I guess to me, this is not a job. I mean, this is more of a passion for me. I just am blessed that we make money doing it. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's crazy. And now I, I completely understand when you hear, you know, titans of industry talk about this. And at some point, the money, yes, is fantastic, but the money doesn't mean as much. You know, I, I wouldn't do it for the same amount of money if it was difficult on me. I'm doing it because I really enjoy doing it. And the money is just a really cool, cool segment that I get paid to do it. So I couldn't have designed any situation better, to be honest with you. I'm just enamored with where we're at and how, we're, how things are progressing. So speaking to the money, what's your outlook on what, I mean, what money means to you? Like, so as far as what, what's more important to you, if it's cash flow or if it's net worth, because on this show, we like to talk about cash flow because that leads to the ultimate, you know, lifestyle design that you want. But I kind of want to know from your perspective, uh, what your outlook is. Well, I think cash flow is definitely important. And I think it depends on which situation you're in. And I think cash flow early on, yes, is definitely very important. Cash flow allows, it allows for freedom. Freedom is what we need. We don't, you know, what, what the average person and what we interpret is being freedom versus security, right? Security, we may talk about that, but ultimately I think everybody really means freedom to do what they want to do. It's less a security kind of thing. So cash flow is definitely going to provide that. It allows you to take your, make your own decisions. But at some point, cash flow is great. But then we, we talk about how do we reinvest that cash flow? How do we keep that cash flow stream invested to the point where it's still going to bring in returns. And that's where you look at your downside and say, yeah, you've made a lot of money. Now it's really time to keep it, right? You can invest in a lot of really great cash flowing entities that are, that are self that are short limited. What are we going to do with it when it gets to that five-year process? How do we plan for the next, you know, the next type uh, uh, transaction? And that's where net worth comes in because you can have a great cash flowing entity and have a very little net worth. How do you sustain that though? You, hopefully you reinvest that cash flow to improve your net worth, to be able to do those other things to, again, at you know, the end of the day, have that cash flow. So I love cash flow. I mean, that's where I do it. And I think net worth is just a, it's a side effect of having great cash flow. Really, it is. As long as you're not going out buying a Ferrari and an 8,000 square foot house and, you know, those kind of things. So... <laughs> you're definitely right. So you have these these boxes uh, in your background. Uh, so what, 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 what's <laughs> I was I was waiting for that, uh, and luckily your your viewers can't see it because if we weren't going to say anything, I was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did. And that's why I asked you if this was being videoed. So everybody that's out there listening, we're in a rent house right now. So we're building a new house. Speaking of uh, taking some of your net worth and you know doing it the right way. 
we're, we're in a rent house and you would laugh if you could look around me. And this is my, my temporary office. We are packed in this house. I mean, packed in the house. So yeah, we're only in here temporary. And I was not about to unpack this crap because if you've ever moved that many times, I'm not doing it. One of, one of those boxes says Frigile. Is that Italian? <laughs> <laughs> Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Well, I happen to have a copy of it right here. <laughs> oh, of course. Let's oh, yeah, let, let's I'm talk kidding. About so so uh, it's, it's a book that I wrote. I, that, I, that's tongue in cheek. Actually, I would say, and this is so cliche, and I know all your listeners probably, if they haven't read this book, I'll have. It's got to be the Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad Poor Dad. I mean, if that's not a foundation for people that want to make a change in their life. I mean, if you read about him, and I always did through the years, I mean, I've read the book, I don't know how many times, probably 20. Every time I read it, I get something else out of it, but it's kind of a motivational type book. It's the perfect book for people that don't want to follow the normal system. I think you have to have the mindset to be open to it. Otherwise, the feedback I always hear from people is, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, nobody does it well. I think it's absolutely the Bible of personal finance because it's it's the absolute truth and the way that the world works to me but a lot of people don't see it that way so i think you have to have the right mindset to to read it and to understand it and actually take something away i love that and right before tom mentioned the little purple book he held up a different book and it was a oh yes so this would be the passive income physician surviving a career crisis by expanding net worth this was my chronicles because i was you know early in practice the 2 and the 3 a.m. while I was in the hospital, banging my head against the desk, seeing, you know, my 50th patient for you know, having a cough for the last year and a half and then coming in that night. I just got frustrated with where I was in life and I wasn't happy. And people often get floored by that to think, oh my God, you're a doctor, you've done all this. How can you not be happy in life? But healthcare is a messed up situation in this country. And being a provider in that situation is fraught with landmines and one of the reasons we've had success and the one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about it is that we, we're at an all-time rate of burnout with physicians in this country, upwards of 60%. I mean, six in 10 docs hate their job, hate it. And so they're looking for how do you not only figure out a way maybe to practice less if you really enjoy practicing, that's fantastic. How do you do it on your own terms so that you're not subject to you know, being leveraged like Tim was talking about having private equity? At the end of the day, we're all somebody's employee. <laughs> and that's a really key distinction to make because once you realize that, that somebody's, somebody somewhere is leveraging you and for physicians in the country, you know, with healthcare, private equity, there's just not much autonomy. Everybody's physicians are W-2 employees now. And a W-2 employee making that much money, that's a 39, well, was a 39.6% tax bracket. Now it's 37. There's a lot of really great things in real estate that can provide income. So... Definitely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, and Tim, this question is for you. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? And this can be a business app or tool. Whoa, gosh. Let me, let me pop open my phone. I've never been. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Give you some time. So Thomas, really quick, you're no longer practicing, right? No, I still do about three days a month. Three days a month. Okay. And is it, I guess, um, what's your motivation behind still practicing? Since I run the group of a large number of physicians, I, I really, I do it to maintain legitimacy. I want to, I want to keep my pulse on what's going on with the group, you know, and have their, their sympathies. I think there's nothing 
worse than a leader that makes decisions not having understood the plight of who he's trying to manage. I think if you, when you lose touch with that, that's where problems start to happen. And so I like to keep myself in there to understand what the situation is that maybe they're going through. I love it. I love it. And that you can possibly have a second, I guess, uh, motivation there in the sense that I guess my question would be, for, as far as your investor base, what percent of your investor base are physicians? Oh, geez. 85 plus probably. I love that. I love that. And that kind of speaks to you, you being able to solve that problem that, you know, you once faced that you were going through, you know, you were you were a physician and like you said, 39 percent in taxes. That's that's crazy working all these crazy hours. And, you know, yeah. if you have a solution. Uh, if you find a solution to your problem, better believe that, you know, there are tons of other people with that same exact problem and you're, you're helping them find that solution. So I think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think the other, the, the beauty also is that Tom speaks doctor. And I say that quite frequently that, you know, if you and I were to get on the phone with a physician, the conversation might not go as easier as well or relatable as if Tom does. I mean, it's very natural for him and very natural for people to understand what Tom went through and what they're going through. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same reason is that I still work clinically as the exactly that they, I understood where a lot of people are and the unhappiness that being overworked and, and you know perceptually underpaid I don't know I mean the average doctor in this country and in Texas is right around two hundred thousand dollars two hundred fifty and that blows people's mind but imagine getting paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and giving away a hundred thousand of that right away it's not hard when you have the old golden handcuffs to be broke at four hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> and it happens all the dang time. Exactly. I know that first. And Tim, speak for yourself because I can speak, doctor. I watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh, I just threw up <laughs> <my mouth>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So Tim, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? That was an interesting question. So cheers to you for, for asking that. So we're a super nimble organization, the Poly Capital is. Obviously, we're based in Dallas-Fort Worth and South Lake, where offices are at, but I'm remote. Our executive assistant is remote. So this is going to sound crazy to you, but cam scanner all day long. <laughs> you know, the, uh, Tom's laughing at that, but it's so true. <laughs> the ability to take pictures of documents, turn them into PDFs, and sign them and send them electronically from your phone is genius. I love it. I love it. So that's <laughs> Cam Scanner for the listeners. Cam Scanner. Oh, man. I thought you were going to say your dating app or something like we're not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this question is, is also for you, Tim. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Well, where do I start? We could have done a two hour show on this. Um, <laughs> I've never worked for myself. And what I mean by that is, you know, I mean, I'm working for myself, I'm working for Tom, I'm working for our director of marketing communications, I'm working for our CPA that's uh, on our team. It is, it's an amazing thing when you think about what true freedom means and the ability to tailor my calendar, my travel schedule around my family, my daughter's schedules, my wife's schedules. After we're done here, I'm going out with my daughter who's in college uh, for lunch today. And that's a beautiful thing because before, you know, I'd be in the car at 7.30 in the morning, I'd go up in the elevator at 8.40 or at 7.45, and I'd be home between 6.30 and 7 in the evening. I have my much younger, heavier brother to thank for showing me the light. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's been a really amazing journey for us. Where is Todd these days anyway? I haven't seen him around. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> 
Uh, it's been an amazing journey for us to, you know, start this company and build this company and to, to bring team members in with us uh, that are equally as excited to uh, build something very unique and exciting. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well said answer. Thomas, this one is for you. Oh, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. <laughs> Do you now? <laughs> what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Oh, God, great question. That was not at all where I thought you were going. <laughs> sacrifices. You know, I don't think that I fully realized and I still don't think I know. I don't think I could accurately predict what the sacrifice is going to be. I think the beauty about not only myself, Tim, and where people end up, if we talk about somebody that's done very, very well financially, I think the beauty is in looking backwards and realizing that a lot of those little failures, and I can't say it enough, that failing is not a bad thing. Failing catastrophically and financially, that's not a good thing. Let's not <laughs> shoot for that. But all the small little skills you learn by failing and whether that's learning how to weld a railing while you're on a destroyer in the middle of the Persian Gulf, and it's not about the act of doing it, it's about the act of jumping in and figuring it out because there's not somebody there that's teaching you how to do it, but learning by making mistakes. It's a successive time of just figuring things out slowly and really adapting those skills and putting them to something useful and then being able to design what you see is your perfect life. So we say we many say, sacrifices, many sacrifices. I mean, I don't even remember the year 2006 and seven very well because I was in the hospital so much. I know a lot about Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana, but not so much of my kid's three-year-old birthday. Gotcha, gotcha. That's definitely a sacrifice. And I appreciate you for sharing that with us. Tim, you were going to piggyback on that? Yeah, I mean, just this comment about mistakes, it's something that we, we preach regularly, not only to ourselves, and I remind myself of this all the time, but our team, that mistakes are okay to be made. Just don't make the same one twice and learn from it. And, uh, you know, eating crow is good for the soul. Who was essential to your growth before then? And there it is. There's the question that I think. <laughs> this one's tough and specifically, so I interrupted you there. Who was, Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? before the millions you know i've thought of this and it's been something that people have asked me regularly and and before and after are two totally different things and before the millions i would say there's there's not just one i mean i made some colossal mistakes in my 20s and having the good fortune of doing it in the military uh was probably a blessing although at the, at the time i thought it was you know horrendous it was a major a major blunder there were some old salty bastards that were seemingly about 90 years old. It was a, there was a warrant officer one time that jumped my stuff up and down. And I learned a lot from those guys. Unfortunately, there hasn't been one particular person up until this point that's really influenced me. I think it's been a conglomeration of several because I've jumped around so darn much that that's probably one of my biggest regrets mm. is I never really cultivated a really good mentor-mentee relationship. And it's something that I still strive and I look for to this day, but it's not something I've ever felt super fulfilled with. And I, I can't earmark one particular person. I could probably tell you 15, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. So, uh, you know, to, to say now, I would say I have a huge respect for my brother now because he's a freaking operations genius. I know you're going to say, uh, <laughs> but the guy likes stuff that, I mean, it's insane. You start... <laughs> <laughs> you start talking about just operating systems and it, my eyes gloss over and I start just doing, what are we talking about? Like trust falls, 
and all kinds of stuff. And he, he eats it up, but it is uber effective. So I love it. I love it. Well, looks like Tim, you're going to bring this one home for us. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Yeah, that's an easy one um, because I was there. You know, it's easy to read the books and say, gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. And, you know, whether you do New Year's resolutions or New Year's goals, you know, everybody has this great idea of I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it now. But nobody's really willing to jump off that cliff right? And put it on your shoulders and put it on your back. And, and listen, I didn't get it either. I mean, I was in my comfortable world until the day I retired. And the day I retired or made that decision to walk away was the day that I opened the door to freedom. And that decision didn't come easy for me, but I banked on myself. And for probably the first time in my career, you know, you, you have to put an emotional deposit in your own bank account and believe that you're going to you're going to grow from that. And I did An emotional deposit in your bank account. I need to write that down. Hold on. <laughs> That's awesome. That is good. Listen, and I did. And I think that, you know, Tom and I talk about this and listen, and we've said this on several other podcasts and people we talk to. 99 people out of 100 will run away from fear, right? And the one person who runs towards it is the other guy on the podcast with the better looking beard. Tom runs towards Tom runs towards fear where everybody else will run away. Tom would be the person that would run, you know, and I'm exaggerating here, but most people would run away from a home on fire. Tom would run into the home. And what in there maybe, but not to save people. So let's yeah, not yeah. <laughs> But what but what I mean by that I'm is kidding, I'm kidding. risk is is okay. Just just measure it. Uh, be thoughtful about it and run towards it. And, you know, that's a skill that I've learned from Tom <laughs> big time, where I wish I would have learned it the previous 51 years of my time on this planet. Boom. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Did I land it? Did I land you the plane? landed it perfectly. Tim and Tom Black, this was simply amazing. I'm so mad that we only have 45 minutes, but this was amazing. I've gotten away. I'm taking away so much value from our conversation. I know our listeners have. And if the listeners want to find you guys, if they want to catch up with you guys, if they want to learn more about the type of investments that you guys invest in, give us all the links, all the plugs. We need everything. We want to soak up as much as we can. We want to visit your site. I want some of the listeners to reach out and ask questions. Sure. Maybe investors that want to invest. So give it all to us. Sure. And on along that note, we are very accessible. Man, I do so many. As a matter of fact, Tim just shot a couple of them to me this morning that I've already followed up with. So on that note, uh, our website is, is napalicap.com, N-A-P-A-L-I-C-A-P.com. And you can get a hold of either one of us in our email, and it's Tim at NepaliCap or Thomas at NepaliCap. We have version two shortly out in Q1 of 2018 on our website, as well as our uh, I blog quite a bit at the PassiveIncomePhysician.com and FreedomInTheBlack.com. That one, uh, that one's, eh, you know, I link them together. <laughs> anyway, so that one, uh, we've got a new version of that one coming out that we've got a lot of exciting changes. We've got a podcast probably coming out by March that is going to be called the Freedom Financial ER, you know, mainly toward tailored, tailored towards uh, healthcare professionals, but it'll still be a lot of, uh, you know, kind of tongue in cheek and executives and things that we know. So that's pretty much it. Tim, do you have any other, uh, 
No, I mean, I think I think that's it. We're like Tom said, I think it's important that, you know, listen, what we care about is educating people. And it's a, a cornerstone of our foundation. And whether you invest with us or not, you know, that's really it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's irrelevant. What matters is that if you have questions, you want to learn, just feel free to reach out to email, you know, us and we'd be more than happy to email back, jump on the phone or whatever. Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. And all of the links that uh, Tim and Tom have just mentioned will be in the show notes at beforethemains.com. So definitely check out our show notes, some of the best show notes in the biz. And again, thank you both for coming on the show. It's been amazing. Sure thing. And by God, one of these days, let's just put a stake in the ground, say that we'll be down there to visit you in Houston in 2018 and uh, catch up with you as well. And maybe we can look at a few deals together. I love that. We'll definitely have to do that. So thank you guys so much. And we'll talk to you soon.